0: Welcome to Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, how could Buffalo's potential changes on offense impact their third down production in 2022? And which change might have a bigger impact, player or coordinator? And we talk with ESPN.com's Brian Burke about the Bills' pass block and run block win rate and where they might want to improve. Hey, NFL Combine, we've got our Wonderlick pencils ready. I-, I never took the Wonderlick, Steve. Did you take the Wonderlick?
1: I did. You did? You don't have to reveal your test I score, but did you? They couldn't Do tell you. They don't tell you what I. Well, oh, they got don't tell you. I don't, not that I know. You of. never found out. I don't know. I don't. Wow. They might have.
0: I'd want to know. Dude, Dude it's kind of. Like, wasn't there a small like party 36 you wanted to?
1: years ago. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, I know that. But after you they wrote it, wasn't they, there a small party? I got party? it on a stone tablet. It was so long ago. Wasn't there a small party? Now I'm picturing you as next to Fred Flintstone. That's right. Chiseling it out. Did you have a small
0: desire to know? Yeah, after sure. You took I it? would
1: like to have known, but I um, one of the guys I heard uh, his name is a linebacker from Northwestern, Rich Raffin. Um, he never played in the NFL, but he was a sharp guy. I heard at the at the time he got one of the highest scores ever. Wow. Yeah. So it was one of I those know Ryan guys.
0: Fitzpatrick got a 49 out of 50. I yeah, think, I think was. I
1: think Rich got like a 47 out of the wow. 50, something like that. That's yeah. good, and that was you know. 35 years ago.
0: Right off the bat, we're digressing, but who the heck cares? Glad you could join us here on Bills by the Numbers. Bill's Wall of Famer, Steve Tasker, is the man you were hearing there who took the like 36 years ago. Bill's <laughs> insider Chris Brown with you, and we come out of the blocks with a discussion about Buffalo's third down performance on offense. In 2020, the Bills were the best third down conversion team in football, Steve, as you know. Forty-nine point seven percent conversion rate last year, third in the league with a conversion rate of 46.4%. But they are, there are likely to be changes to Buffalo's passing game. Emmanuel Sanders, as we know, on an expiring contract, contemplating retirement. Isaiah McKenzie's contract is up. Gabriel Davis figures to have a larger role in 2022. Cole Beasley has a year remaining on his contract and will be 33 years old. What happens there? Do they ask him to take a pay cut? We'll have to see. So the Bills receiving corps probably does not look the same as it did last year, even when it comes to some primary players. So with that in mind, knowing player continuity is going to change to some degree. Is that a positive, a neutral, or a negative <clears throat> for Buffalo's third down
1: conversion future? Well, at the early stage of the season, it's really hard to tell what that's going to be, but certainly changes, uh, the, the changes they had from 20 to 21, which were minimal except for maybe Emmanuel Sanders getting inserted into the lineup, Um uh, they were a tick below what they were. They right. Went from one to three. Now you know you're you're splitting hairs a little bit when you're talking about percentages of the, you know, the minutia we're talking about. And the bills were still out incredible on third down uh, throughout the year. I think changes are always breed uncertainty, and even if you end up being better than you were, it certainly usually takes time to get there, and that time is what keeps you from being better overall yeah. than you were the year before. So I think there's a possibility that, you know, the, the team may end up being sharper than they were, much like they were this year. They started out the season and they're off, you know, even in opening day where they, you know, they struggled against a good Pittsburgh defense and kind of got it together. But at the end of the season and into the playoffs, <laughs> this offense was, it, it was, <clears throat> if you were an opponent, it was like a car wreck. You couldn't look away. And if you were a Bills fan, you were bellying up to a, to a buffet on the day when you were your hungriest. I mean, it was something yeah. you couldn't get enough of. And so I, I think there may be some of that on the, on the horizon for the Bills offense. I think there will be an adjustment period. Ken Dorsey, the coordinator. Josh Allen with new and different weapons. A shuffled offensive line, probably uh, different guys. Uh, a new receiver in the room. A couple of new receivers in the room. So I think the uncertainty makes you think it's going to take at least a little bit of a step backwards for a time.
0: Right. That's where I kind of agree with you. Because on third down... It's all about execution and precision. And the quarterback and the receiving target relationship is obviously of the utmost importance there. And I'm not saying that Josh Allen can't have a new receiver in the room that has a bigger role and that they won't get on the same page. I think they will, but that, t- that kind of stuff takes time. Um, I'm trying to hearken back to the season where John Brown – and Cole Beasley were new additions to the receiving core. It was 2019. And I remember Beasley and Allen saying pretty clearly, they were on the same page with this. We feel we've established a rapport. And that was at the conclusion of June minicamp. They hadn't even gotten to training camp and they felt they had built something tangible that they could carry with them into training camp. And then the season and we saw a great degree of success with that offense between the two of them and John Brown in 2019 it was good enough to be a 10 win team and make the playoffs i'm not going to remember off the top of my head what they did on third down right i guess what i'm saying is while there's concern when there's change as you pointed out i do think this offense is advanced enough to get to a place where they'll still be pretty darn productive maybe even top 5 still
1: yeah sure i don't i wouldn't Anticipate them dropping very far out of the top five. If even if they do, um, I think one of the things you got to remember too, when we when we saw them come out in 2020, it was an it was an enormous bust out year for this offense. Yeah. Uh, Josh certainly at the centerpiece of it, but Cole Beasley, the addition of Cole Beasley and John Brown, was an, an enormous upgrade from the year before. Well, yeah, and so I think that that re- you know that energized offense from where they were one year to the next year when you got a quarterback all of a sudden who un- has a big handle on the offense, has another year of, a, of uh, experience taking snaps and then having better guys out there running. Uh, that gave us all this this wow effect in 2020 during the pandemic when nobody was in the stands and you're watching it on TV. It's like, who are these guys? Yeah. So there's a little bit of that going on as well on t- in 2020. But nevertheless, you're right. They were consistent from week one all the way through week 17 then Mm -hmm. and into the playoffs of being something this fan base and this organization hasn't experienced
0: in a while. Cole Beasley is an interesting discussion because he had the second highest target percentage for this team on third down at 20% of the third down pass attempts. Stephon Diggs led the team with 28% of the targets on third down. Gabriel Davis, despite limited playing time, Steve, third on that list at just under 13%. If Sanders does not return and McKenzie is not re-signed, how does Buffalo go about replacing the 15% of third down targets they represent, and more importantly, McKenzie's 85.7% conversion rate?
1: Yeah, I think they're going to do it. It's going to be by committee, um, and they'll they'll look for guys to emerge. Um, When Josh drops back on third down, he's going to be thrown to somebody. Uh, I I anticipate a Dawson Knox further emergence. I think Dawson Knox will play even better this year than he did this last year. I think he's got that in him. And I think with Ken Dorsey as coordinator uh, and the rapport and chemistry and familiarity he has with his quarterback, I think that's a perfect spot for some of that percentage to move over to the tight end spot. Um, I th- also think there's no question, there's a good possibility somebody from the outside may be coming in. The mm-hmm. free agent market is flush with pretty good wide receivers along the Emmanuel Sanders line guys with a lot of experience, guys with some chops in the NFL who've got some good football left in them and are looking for a place to play. Um, you know, it's not going to be one of these $17 million a year wide receivers. It's not going to be an eight, uh, you know, an AJ Green or a Julio Jones at their high, at the height of their careers, but it is going to be a guy like an Emmanuel Sanders or a John Brown or a Cole Beasley, who the Bills have gotten in in the last couple of years, who have really contributed. So I think that's probably where I would anticipate those those targets going. Certainly, Gabriel Davis looks to be on the field a little more than he was a year ago. Oh, I think definitely. Uh, but and I think you can say right there, it's going to be Gabriel Davis a lot of it, Dawson Knox a little bit of it, and player X that we don't know about. Right. Knox and Davis make sense. They have a rapport with Josh already.
0: They figure to have even bigger roles, particularly on third down. So it makes sense that they would gobble up some of that percentage if, in fact, McKenzie is not back. And I think, yeah, new blood I think is also part of the equation here, which you know then also asks, does Isaiah Hodgins do enough to step up to earn a role on the fifty-three man roster in year three? And what about Marquez Stevenson? Does he have some kind of a role, or is he still a primary return man, and, and little more than that, that. Those are questions that obviously have to be answered when this team gets back on the field in the spring. What about the possible change, you mentioned it, that Ken Dorsey as a play caller will bring? While he certainly appears qualified to do the job, he's not Brian Dable, who has run this offense for the last four years. So how does Dorsey
1: change this team's ability to convert on third down? I think he will see things differently. I think every coach does. And I think um there's no question it's as much art as it is science. Um and we're going to find out what kind of artist Ken Dorsey is. Yeah. Um it's a feel. It's being able to look ahead on first and second down and and after you go run first down and you've got to, you're going to pl- call your second down plays to get out ahead of it. Okay, if this if if this happens the way we think it's going to happen, we end up with a third and short or whatever. Or uh, a philosophy of we're not going to try and pick up a third every first down on second down. We're going to take the easy completion, end up with a third and one rather than a, take a chance and end up with a second and seven or second and eight or third and eight after a second down failure. Mm-hmm. So uh, his ability to stack positive plays in early downs. And his ability to come up with things that, jo- that Josh could do in his sleep to make sure you're going to get that third down conversion. I mean, thi- this is the kind of statistic that is set in the week, in the days leading up to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you want those third down conversions to be like clockwork. Like, okay, we got all right. We first and second down. You can take a shot. If you get a f- nice first down play and it's second and short, let's take a shot. Yeah. Then on third down, it's like okay, we're gonna we gotta convert the third down. Let's go, bing, and it's it's like fall, getting out of bed for these guys. They got it. Okay, now we got a new set of downs. So let's go. That kind of mindset is something that Ken Dorsey's gonna have to get into and get his players to get into as well, so that when they do get to third down, he'll have a menu of plays that that could be that they could call the number of any one of five guys on the field and be, feel confident they're gonna get it.
0: There is something to be said though about. Making your aim, staying in third and manageable, and Buffalo's statistics would bear this out, as I'm sure it is with most NFL clubs, third and short, third and manageable, are easier to convert and their percentages are typically higher. You might wonder, to what degree? To what degree are they higher in terms of conversion rate? Bills on third and short conversion rate last season, almost 59%. Almost 59%. Third and medium, 55%. Very, very, very good. Third and long, 32.7. I mean, that's a precipitous drop. It's not uncommon. You see it across the league a lot. It drops off precipitously when you get to third and long because now the quarterback has to hold it a little bit longer. Pass rush can get home a little more often because the play takes longer to develop. The routes are longer, et cetera. I'm curious as to what Ken Dorsey's approach to that will be. Will it be, hey, let's just get to third and manageable and we're good enough to convert it? Or how does... The fourth down approach of this team factor into the thoughts on third down and the play calling therein as well. We saw some of that across the league this past year with the way teams approached third down if they knew they were in territory where they'd be going forward on fourth down anyway. That can change a play caller's choices on third down, as you well know, Steve. So right. all of those things get rolled in to what kind of coordinator Ken Dorsey will be going forward. I will say this. Ken Dorsey, as a quarterback, in college primarily, had a plethora of weapons around him. I mean, he played on a national championship team at Miami. I mean, he had dynamic weapons around him. I mean, sitting behind him in the backfield, Frank Gore, Clinton Portis, Willis McGahee. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And, he, and had similar, he had similar talent at wideout. But he was smart enough to know, all I got to do is get the ball in these guys' hands. And I think he might be communicating a similar message to Josh. Not that he doesn't know that already, but it'll be interesting to see what his philosophy is going forward and how he imparts that on his all-world as, quarterback and
1: Josh Allen. As most of the coaches are known for when they get to the level they are as coordinators and head coaches uh, and the like, they rise through the ranks because they're really sharp. Mm-hmm. Really, they're good thinkers. And they got And Ken Dorsey's reputation as a quarterback was that. He was a smart guy. Right. Uh, that should serve him well. I know you can go down the list of coordinators around the National Football League, and the first thing people say about him is, "Wow, well, he's really smart." Um, it takes that kind of—no <laughs> cho- kidding, <laughs> yeah—it takes that kind of chops to do to get to the point where you have enough ability to keep enough on your plate mentally to to juggle all those, mm-hmm. you know, all those balls and keep them up in the air. Um, I I also think this, while Ken Dorsey did have that that on his resume, the national championship team with a ton of weapons. I also know that he's been in the National Football League for a decade plus and has seen a lot of good players and how they've been used and the, the wherewithal behind him. I, one of the frustrating things for me is I hear people talk about, wow, Ken Dorsey's going to run, maybe he'll run two tight end offense. Listen, that's not how it works, folks, in the NFL. If you're an NFL coordinator at this level, you don't, you don't decide what offense you're going to run. Your players decide. You go out and you find the most gifted, smartest players you can find who are the most committed. You find the best guys. And then you get them on the field and you see what they can do, and that's the offense you run. That's what an offensive coordinator in the NFL does. He gives the guys with their tool sets – on his roster, the best chance to win on a given week, and it will look different from week to week. That's what an NFL offensive coordinator does. He doesn't say, okay, we're going to run some two tight end offense this year. He'll run a two tight end offense if he's got two really good tight ends who are better options than three wide. Yeah. Or two wide and two back and one tight end. Or or H back, two backs, yeah. and one, you know, whatever. Your
0: personnel grouping.
1: Whatever that personnel grouping is, the only way you run those that personnel is because it's your best option, and those are your best players in that situation against that defense on that down and distance. That's how many. That's just a sample of how many balls you got to juggle. Right. That's how it works in the NFL. So this thought about Ken Dorsey coming in and changing the offense, the players change the offense. The coaches just give them a best chance to win.
0: We'll take another look at Buffalo's passing game when we discuss the team's pass block and run block win rates with ESPN.com's Brian Burke a little bit later. Right now, new customers can get their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just sign up today by going to sportsbook.fanduel.com or by downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. Time now for this week's edition of the Numbers Game, where we put Steve to the test. And since we're talking about the Bills passing game, Steve, I'm going to give you a number that represents the percentage of third down receptions that a Bills player converted for a first down. You have to tell me which Bills player belongs to that percentage. Capiche? All right. Okay, so here we go. Number one, 75% conversion rate. For a first down, who do you think owns the 75% conversion rate on the Bills roster from 2021 on third down? Give me an a name. Diggs. It is not Stephon. Diggs. <laughs> All
1: right. Knox. It is not. It is not Dawson Knox. No. Sanders. <laughs> no again. Well, I figured we're because we're gonna go up from here, right? We are gonna go up from here. Yes. So I figured the uh, the heart. Okay, I'll say Matt Breida or somebody.
0: Not Matt Breida. Um, I will tell you that no player on this list had fewer than seven third down receptions on the season for a conversion. So someone like Matt Breida, who only had two catches on third down, he is not going to be on this list.
1: Moss. Is not
0: moss. 75% was Cole Beasley. Oh my gosh. 12 out of 16 conversions on the season. We move to number two. 80% conversion rate on third down. Moving the sticks. Diggs. It's not Diggs. I mean, you're dealing with a similar cast of characters yeah, here. Gabe obviously. Davis. It is not Gabriel Davis. Eight, what is it? 80 80% conversion rate.
1: Knox. It is Knox. Yeah, Eight for ten. Easy. Eight
0: for ten on the season. Good job.
1: All right. So then what's the next
0: one? Next one is eighty-five point seven percent conversion and I'll give you some help. He was six of seven on third down conversion receptions this McKenzie. year. McKenzie. It is not McKenzie. This was Davis. It is not Davis. Sanders. It is Sanders. Yes. Okay. 85.7% conversion so rate, Emmanuel Sanders. So now you know already, Steve, Beasley, it's, Knox, uh, and Sanders are off the list. Right. So it should get easier I'm from here. This down I'm... <laughs>
2: Knox,
0: Beasley Sanders. and Sanders are off the list. Okay, right. so we move to number
1: four. 91% conversion rate on third down. That's pretty good. You know, I, Isaiah McKenzie could have done this on in that one New England game alone. He was pretty good. How many
0: what's the percentage 90 91% conversion rate this receiver was 10 for 11 on third down conversions in the 2021 season Gabe Davis It is Gabriel Davis you are 100% correct Not not bad by Gabriel Davis there um yeah, that's incredible. number 5 on the list slightly better 91.3% conversion rate what do you think
1: was there McKenzie
0: it is not McKenzie
1: Singletary. Singletary not, not Singletary it has to be a wide out?
0: it is a wideout. <clears throat> yes. oh. you're running out of options
1: be oh how about well, that wouldn't be, it. wouldn't be it. 90 it's got to be Sanders probably got Sanders um not a tight end it is not a tight end. Oh, no. Dawson Knox, you already had. Beasley Knox, Sanders Davis.
0: Oh, it's Diggs. It is Diggs, yes. 21 of 23, Steve.
2: That's,
0: good. That's a good conversion rate on yeah. third down. And the last one 100% conversion on third down. Who in the world could that be on Buffalo's roster from 2021?
1: Is it? A, it's got to be wide out, right? It is a wide out. be McKenzie.
0: It is little dirty. Isaiah McKenzie, seven of seven, wire to wire conversions on third down. Steve, he was perfect. That's amazing. Perfect. On Get that the, guy back in a Bills uniform next and year. I
1: don't want to take anything away from Isaiah McKenzie. Because he he really helped it. Hey, what a what a great addition and great player he is. He's versatile. His speed gives him an edge. Um, he's good with the ball in his hands, and he catches the ball extremely well. In the, last, at the at the stretch run of this season, both in New in New England game in in New England when he caught 11 of 12, uh, just a phenomenal performance. But I will say this too: that it is also a testament to how this coaching staff manages their roster. They bench that guy for a game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They do not let these guys get complacent
2: or comf- at all, or
1: comfortable, or comfy. They keep the pressure on these guys, and they and and it's difficult because you say, well, like <clears throat> the old days when you know we all had this perception of like what Bill Parcells was. He was like pushing the buttons on everybody. He was right. keeping the pressure. Tom Coughlin, he's keeping the pressure on everybody. That's when hard coaching was the norm. Yes, it's not as it was a big deal now. Now, now uh, with with. The current state of the hist- in the hi- point of history in the NFL, w- what coaches do now, every guy's different. They try and get to know these guys individually, and if they need to push buttons on a guy, they push that guy's buttons, not everybody's buttons. Right, but there's a certain DNA of player that they look for here That's right. that
0: they know more often than not will take hard coaching the right way.
1: Listen, if you're in the NFL, you can take hard coaching. If you cannot, you won't be here. Long you now. will not be here. Guys, you, you cannot, because here's the thing. You can't be a guy that, that crumbles under hard coaching. Like, for instance, a guy like Carson Wentz, mm. who appears to have wilted in those moments. Well, he did in Philadelphia, right? And he seems to have at the end of at the stretch run of the yeah. Indianapolis. But anyway, my my point is this: you can't be a guy. Who crumbles when you get coached hard because everybody makes mistakes. Every single player, from the from Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes, all the way down to guys like I used to covering kicks. Like, you know, the, the Matt Slater's and the Jake Kumros of the world, yep. who you know you see on kick coverage. Everybody makes mistakes. It's a coaching staff's responsibility because of the other 52 guys on the roster to hold you accountable for your mistakes. If you crumble, being held accountable because everybody makes it. If you crumble when you get called out, <laughs> sorry, bro. Yeah, that's the way it is because fifty-two other guys in the room are going, "Hey, I made that mistake, and you crushed me. You you stepped on me like an ant. What you got? What's the deal?" Yeah, that causes problems in the room, in the in the locker room. You reminded me of your former, one of your former head
0: coaches, Jerry Glanville. I still remember him being mic'd up on NFL films, and he's in training camp, and he's. He's laying into some young player, and he's not happy because the guy made the same mistake twice. And he said, "Hey man, do you know what NFL stands for? Not for long if you keep making mistakes like that." Right. And I was like, "Woo!"
1: <laughs> that was, you know what that is? That was. I remember that. That was actually in a game. You know, who he was, oh, it was talk- in a game. Okay. You know who he's talking to? The official. <laughs> is that what he it was? He was talking to the
0: zebra. I thought he was mad. He at goes, one you of know the players.
1: NFL. This is the NFL. And it stands for not for long when you keep making those calls. Okay. That's what he was talking about. And he was – listen, Jerry's still one of my favorite guys. He actually, <laughs> he's a treasure, I've man. known him for 35 years, 40 years. And, in fact, the last couple of years, the last year of my son's career in Canada, he was the defensive coordinator. Oh, no kidding. And oh, I went up cool. – I had to go up and say hello to him. And, and just it was just great to see him. The guy was like – he's in his 70s. Yeah, he's got to be and right? he's And he's just same guy. You just got to love a guy like that. Yeah. And he's right. You got to coach these guys hard. And if they can't – Stand being held accountable for their mistakes, you you can't play because you've got other guys on the the team that are watching you. All right. All right.
0: Well done there, Steve, in the numbers game. We move along now to ESPN analytics writer Brian Burke. He recently put together an individual player list of leaders in pass and run block win rates as well as team leaders. We dive into that in terms of some high-ranking Bills players and some of their team marks as well. Here's Brian. All right, Brian, so let's jump right into some of what you guys put together at ESPN.com recently. You, you took a look at pass block win rate, run block win rate for offensive linemen, and you also did it for the defensive linemen as well as far as winning against the pass rush and against the run. Um, I wanted to start in terms of the individual players with Dion Dawkins, who ranked seventh yep. best in the league with a success rate of 92% in pass block win rate. This despite having... <laughs> Two separate bouts with COVID in the course of the 2021 season. Many who watched him week over week did not think he was even playing at peak efficiency until the latter half of the season. What do you think he could be capable of if he can roll into the season healthy next year and not 16 pounds underweight from like a four-day hospital stay? Those are good numbers for him.
2: Yeah, um, <clears throat> these win rates are pretty consistent from year to year. So, you know, they don't bounce all over the place, which is one reason we think they're a pretty good metric. Um, you know, uh, someone like Dawkins could, could definitely improve, um, the, but he, he's very solid. I mean, he's, he's a great anchor. Um, he's much better in pass block, uh, as than run block. And I don't, I don't watch, I don't watch every Bill's game and I don't watch all the Bill's tape, um, you know, in, unless there's something really remarkable or the playoffs. So one of the things about these win rate stats is. I don't really need to like They're telling me what's going on with, with these players without having to kind of do 500 hours of of film study. So the fact (laughs) he had, he had COVID a couple of times, I'm not even aware of that, but, but I can use these stats to tell me what's uh, you know, how how they're, how they're performing. What
1: do the stats tell you about the bills offense and their, we all noticed it here, and we gave uh, Devin Singletary a lot of credit. You say that Dawson, uh, that Deion Dawkins was better in the pass protection than he was in the run blocking. The Bills' run game didn't get going until late in the season. Do you notice anything statistically, or what can you tell uh, as a difference maker that happened to this offense when their run game did become a bigger factor?
2: Yeah, well, uh, definitely. If, if the run if the run game is improving, I can almost guarantee that the, the run block win rates are a big part of that. So, you know, we measure wh- what part of the game is blocking, um, and both in in passing and running, it's about thirty percent of the game. So, if you imagine all the other things that are going on, other than the offensive line, you know, all all the def- all the defenders, all the scheme, all the play types, all the situation. Uh, the running back, or the receivers, the passer, all all, all those other things comprise about 70%. So um, they they correlate pretty tightly. So as if, if you if you're watching um, run block win rate improve, and you're not seeing the uh, you're not seeing the performance on the field, you're not seeing the yardage. Uh, what that means is the problems probably with with the uh, running back or the backfield. Um, uh, vice versa, if you see a, a running back kind of outperforming his blocking, you can kind of make an assessment of uh, that the uh, that the you know the backfield, the running backs room is is probably pretty strong.
0: And then Brian, with that in mind, looking at pass block win rate as a team, I know the Bills finished eighth, 64 percent I believe was their number. But with what you were just referencing there, it's probably the running back and run block win rate. If you know you you see some certain things with the numbers. I'm wondering with a, with a quarterback like Josh Allen and his widely known escapability, how do you factor in that to the equation? Or is there some variance when you have mobile quarterbacks who can escape?
2: Right. So the, um, part of the win rates requires you to be within sort of a threat distance, uh, to the quarterback. So, um, but typically what win rates is measuring is within 2.5 seconds of the snap. And that's, that's almost always before a quarterback needs to escape the pocket. So one of the big, uh, one of the things that the win rates really brought about was recognition that a time is essential to measuring the performance of these linemen. So when we were first developing these, uh we I think it was 2017, 2016, maybe, Joe Thomas' last full year. And he's like an all-world left tackle, as everyone knows, uh, for the Browns. And he was number one in pressures allowed as, as a pass blocker, which is kind of insane. But he was also number one in pass block win rate because he was sustaining his block for 2.5 seconds. It was just that uh, I think it was Deshaun Kaiser, possibly, was just couldn't read the field and was holding onto the ball for too long. So yeah. that's what win rates does. It sort of – it makes – it separates uh, the effect of the quarterback uh, from the effect of the offensive line. It isolates the performance of the, gotcha. of the blockers. Yeah.
1: What can you tell us now? And I, we've talked about analytics a lot on our show and it seems as though the, the Holy grail of analytics is finding one, a, an analytic statistic that is of course predictive. Uh what can this win rate tell us about what's going to happen as opposed to what's already happened?
2: Um, well, you can, uh, you can use win rates to do, uh, you know, help predict uh, game outcomes. Of course, it's a big component of, of what team is better than the other team. Um, there's a lot of attention on, on gambling and that sort of stuff uh, these days. So you can, you can use it to predict uh, say sack number of sacks, you know, prop bets, things like that. Um <clears throat> but it's not super predictive, like uh, in terms of it's not intended to be a predictive statistic. It's intended to be a metric of, of individual player performance.
0: And speaking of that, and this is the last one I've got for you, Brian, you know, I was happy to see Ed Oliver on the defensive side of the ball, rank in the top 10. He was seventh amongst defensive tackles in pass rush win rate. And I was like, Oh, great. Look Ed Oliver's number seven on the list, you know, 13% success rate. I'm like, ah. I, I'm, I, you know, I was waiting to see Aaron Donald at the top of the list, and sure enough, he was there. Twenty six percent success rate. He's got double the success rate of Ed Oliver, who's a pretty darn good defensive tackle. I mean, how how out of the universe is twenty six percent for a defensive tackle, Brian?
2: Yeah, it literally is off the chart. Like if you if you charted if you made a chart of all these interior defenders and their win rates, you would have to like you know break the scale in order to include Aaron (laughs) Donald. I think he's at 26%. And then number two is like 20% and then 19 and 18 and so on. So he, he is, um, he is in a a class by himself Ed Oliver though. He, he is, he does it all. And he is, um, I think I looked it up. He's number, number five in pass rush win rate for interior defenders uh, since the inception of the metric, which was 2017. So, I mean, he's, he has been a consistent, uh, Presence uh, for the bills,
1: and w- are there any players that have surprised you statistically? That uh, players that m- maybe came from nowhere or anything, because or, uh, and that's one of the things that uh, we see. We saw something. We saw it a lot in this franchise's 17-year drought, where all of a sudden you'd have one guy on your team that like sprung out of a statistical anomaly. Hey, this guy's pretty good, and you wouldn't see it because of the team was uh, either not as good or or struggled to win games. Is there anybody? that jumps out at you as an anomaly in your statistical analysis?
2: Not, 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 immediately like a diamond in the rough. One of the things I was a little surprised by was some of the, the top draft picks of recent years on the, on the defensive side, just haven't, haven't really been a pass rush presence. So Epinissa and Rousseau, um, their numbers are, are pretty mediocre for where they were taken in the draft. Um, Rousseau is, is more of a run stopper. Yeah, He has good unstop numbers, but um, but they're they're pretty they're they're fairly below average, especially for where what there was what was expected of them. Yeah. Right, the good news exactly. is
0: Rousseau was number five among run stop win rate, at least on the chart that I saw, with a thirty percent figure. So I don't think anybody anticipated him having that kind of success in terms of setting the edge and stopping the run as a rookie, but he proved to be a better, more consistent run defender right. than he did a pass rusher. Hopefully the pass rush comes along with more experience. Brian, thanks very much for your time. We appreciate you kind of spelling some of this out. Sometimes we get a little deep in the weeds and we get lost. So we, we call on people like you to help us out of the weeds and back into reality where we can make heads and tails of some of these metrics. So thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. We'll catch up with you down the road. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Brian Burke, ESPN.com analytics writer. All right, Steve, our one burning question this week deals with the NFL Combine, which is coming up next week. It looks like it will be a more normal Combine after last year saw no on-field testing due to the COVID pandemic. We had a little hiccup there where players weren't happy with the COVID restrictions. I don't want to say they revolted, but they voiced some disapproval and concern. The Combine buckled. They're not going to have super high restrictions for covid protections so it looks like it'll be a relatively normal combine all things considered what will you be looking or listening
1: for most this coming week in Indianapolis when we are there uh the thing I always look for is a buzz about somebody going wow I didn't know that about that guy uh, we saw some of it on tape but when we got him on the pro level like for instance a guy like Josh Allen we saw him you know he was he was doing this this in Wyoming because we never saw him do this in their offense. We never right. saw this guy do that in their offense. They, he's never asked to do this in their offense. And he, then you get him in the pro level, and all those, not only can he do it, he blows it out of the water. Uh, guys like that who surprise the scouts and the coaches with their ability to to have a skill set that they didn't realize or were suspecting he may not have. Right. That's what I always look for, surprises.
0: Yeah. For me... I look for the things that we can readily see, the physical traits, because we know at the top of the draft the Bills have a propensity to seek out elite physical traits, even down at the bottom of the first round, as we saw last year with Greg Rousseau. Height, length, speed athlete, elite traits. So I'm looking for that in the testing portion, knowing the Bills are picking at 25. And then doubly, I'm looking for speed specifically, Steve, because I believe the Bills have come to the conclusion that if they are going to get past the Chiefs, they need to put more speed on the field, chiefly on defense. No pun intended. I just said chiefly. I don't know why I did that. Primarily on defense, (laughs) but also on offense. Uh, I think you need to beat a track team with some track stars because as fundamentally sound as you might be on defense, if you can't run with them, it doesn't matter how good your fundamentals are. You got to be able to keep up, and I think they're going to be looking to add to their speed quotient this off season on the roster. So that's something I am keeping my eye on. We'll see what comes of it going forward. We will be recording next week, uh, next week's edition of Bills by the Numbers on location in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine, where we will be all week for our daily show, One Bills Live, which airs one to three p.m. Eastern Time Monday to Friday. But please subscribe so you know when our podcast episode drops. And remember, when you need to know about the bills, you need to check bills by the numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you next week.